Stay inspired on the go with Springboard Zone, an inspirational podcast from internationally acclaimed executive coaches, authors and ministers, Albert and Comfort Okran. You will be inspired and challenged with strategies to consistently reach for new heights. And now, today's message by Reverend Albert Okran. Business in deep waters. Business in deep waters. This is part three of our series on order in our careers. Business in deep waters, career order, part three. If you've been following the series so far in part one, we spent time looking at how to identify your career path. We try to establish the fact that each of us is unique and we each have a unique career path. In part two that we called Zafnat Pania, we spent time looking at how to grow your career from small to big and how to break out of prison or limitation and walk in the fullness of God's blessings. Our foundational scripture for this series has been Isaiah 48 verse 17 that says, Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord, your God, who teaches you to profit and who leads you by the way you should go. We've been trying to use this scripture and others to highlight the unique career paths of different patriarchs in our quest to establish the fact that even people from the same family or the same mother's womb, twins from the same womb, have unique career paths because we are each fearfully and wonderfully made. And so we've been looking at Abraham as a pioneer or an entrepreneur, a man who leaves his father's house and starts a new venture. We looked at Isaac as a second generation CEO or business leader. We looked at Jacob as a man with skills and talents but no capital who had to forge a partnership with Laban to realize his dreams. And in the last session, we spent our time looking at a man called Joseph, who is your ideal intrapreneur or the excellent manager, and the man who came to be called Zafnatpania, the revealer of hidden things or the savior of the world. Today, we want to turn our attention to business, how to do business in deep waters. Many of us want to do big business, but what does it take? What does the scripture say about business? What must we be thinking about when we engage the issue of doing business? What questions must we answer in our quest to be at the top in our businesses? Our key scripture for today is in Psalm 107, 107th Psalm. And the verses 23 and 24. Psalm 107, verses 23 and verse 24. And whatever you find yourself doing, this scripture will be relevant to your course. Whether you are a student, an educationist in the health industry, in, in, in retail, whatever you are doing, you will find nuggets of wisdom in Psalm 107, verse 23 and verse 24. It says this, Those who go down to the sea in ships, 
who do business on great waters to see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. Those who go down to the sea in ships who do business, another version says, in deep waters, they see the works of the Lord or the greatness of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. The scripture describes a certain category of people who have the potential of seeing a certain dimension of God's work and his wonders. It says those who go down to the sea in ships and who do their business in deep waters, it is they who will see that dimension of God's work and of his wonders in the deep. My adventurous mind wants to use fishing as a metaphor and look at another type of fisherman whose life is the antithesis or the opposite of this one we have just described. And so if I took the liberty to rewrite Psalm 107 verse 23 and 24 and I'm looking for the opposite of what the Bible describes, my version will be, they that go down to the sea in canoes that do business in shallow waters, they shall never see the works of our Lord and his wonders in the deep. Somebody say, I hear you. Those who go down to the sea in canoes, who do business in shallow waters, shall not experience the greatness of our God and his wonders in the deep. Let me suggest to you, my friends, that from this scripture, there is a clear idea that there is a deep sea mentality and a shallow waters or canoe mentality. You cannot enjoy a deep sea harvest with a canoe mentality. You cannot have a shallow water mentality and operate in the deep waters. When you contrast the lives of these two fishermen, you begin to see some secrets that allow you to operate in deep waters. It becomes evident that many are called, but few are chosen. It is evident that whether you are in education, healthcare, delivery, retail, trading, manufacturing, agriculture, sports, services, And I dare say, even in ministry, it is obvious that many are called, but few are chosen. The many I am talking about are often found in subsistence living or subsistence level operation. That means that they live from hand to mouth and they do enough very often to survive just for a day at a time. The few who are chosen do the same things but at the highest level and they get the just reward for their efforts. Sometimes we find ourselves working very hard and looking for big opportunities. We find ourselves very busy but that level of busyness is not characterized by the reward that we are looking for. When we understand deep sea fishing, it would help us see why our efforts are not yielding the desired results. We have the potential 
to become big, but we sometimes remain small because we don't know what to do and how to move ourselves from the shallow waters into the deep seas. I can tell somebody that you can start small, but think big and grow big. Amen. It is not wrong to start small, but don't stay small. Tell somebody, start small, think big, and grow big. We want to use the scripture to distill six key pillars of deep water business. Six key strategies for working in the deep waters of our lives, our businesses, our careers, our projects, and every area of endeavor. The first thing I would like to say is that if you want to walk in deep waters, you must have a clear business concept and strategy. You must have a clear idea of what you are trying to do and your strategy for doing it. Whatever it is you want to do, you, ha- you need a clear idea of what you are doing. Sometimes you talk to somebody and you say, so what exactly are you involved in? And after five minutes of explanation, you are not sure whether you understand what the person is saying. And when you look at the person's face, it doesn't look like the person himself or herself is even sure of what they are saying. In fact, sometimes they will even tell you that I myself am confused. You need a clear strategy to win this battle. Fishing in the deep sea is significantly different from fishing at the shoreline. If you went to Jamestown, Elmina, Sekendi, or any typical fishing community, you will realize that the typical shoreline is crowded with several people and several canoes. You can actually experience traffic of canoes. Several canoes operating with very low expectation. Their typical scope of operation is to do a few skirmishes and come back home and they finished. And so you will find several people struggling for small opportunities. Someone said it is never crowded on the extra mile. I would also say that it is never crowded in the deep sea. When you ride in the deep sea of ministry or business or any field of endeavor, once in a while you will see somebody doing the same thing or operating at that same level. But very often you drive alone for a long time on the highway. The highway of success has very little traffic. The base of every ladder is crowded. The base of every form of oppression has several people trying to make ends meet and keep body and soul together. But the deep sea oppression covers a longer period. It involves several complicated operations, planning, mobilizing resources, Analyzing the environment, looking at weather patterns, analyzing your risk, checking your fuel, how far it can go. At the small side, you don't even wonder about those things. You just go and come. In the deep sea expedition, you can go for days on end before you come back and see your family. It's a a whole different operation. If you are a very tentative person and you do things off the spare of the moment and you do things off the cuff and you are not used to strategic thinking, planning and preparation, you can't go into the deep sea. Amen. The deep sea is for thinkers, planners, and strategists. And so how do you convert your shoreline canoe business concept into a deep sea business? Number one, still under 
clear business concept and strategy, the first thing you need is a needs assessment. What problem am I trying to solve? Is it an educational problem? Because business is a reward for solving problems. A marriage counselor provides solutions for marriages and families. You must clearly write down the problem for which God has sent you into this world. The problem for which your business has been founded. What need am I trying to meet? It must be very explicit. The clearer it is, the better. Is it an everyday need? Or is it a luxury need? Why is that important? Because even the kind of need you are trying to meet determines the approach. If you are selling Jaguar cars, it is different from selling motorbikes to Okada riders. It's a whole different kind of thinking. And so knowing, you can, you can say I am in transport business. Somebody selling aircrafts is in transport. Somebody selling Jaguars is in transport. Somebody selling second-hand motorbikes is also in transport. What need are you trying to meet? Is it a new need or something that has always been there? Sometimes you are trying to highlight a need people have that they don't know. Sometimes it's a need that is always there, but you are meeting it in a different way. Why do people need your services? All these questions help you to position yourself. What need am I trying to meet? The second big question you have to answer is what is unique about my solution? How unique is my idea, my concept, my solution? Now, why is that important? Because you will find out that the thing you think you are doing that is special, several other people are doing it. It's everyone doing the same thing in the same way everywhere. When you go to the roasted plantain industry, they call it the coffee brokeman business, you will find a long chain of people with a particular kind of basin and a particular kind of mesh and a particular kind of charcoal, a particular way of lighting the fire and a particular kind of stick or metal iron that they used to do it. And it is the same technology, the same thinking, the same approach, the same pattern. And so if you want to go into that business, the question you're asking yourself is, am I going to do this the same way everybody is doing it, or am I going to evolve a new way of dealing with the broke man? It requires thinking. How unique is my solution? There's a particular hotel in Accra that is packed every Sunday afternoon. And they sell every kind of African dish you can find from starter to dessert. And some of the things that you used to eat when you were children that you don't find in town anymore, they have special chefs who produce it. And the place is always packed. And they charge probably about 20 times what you will pay for that same thing by the roadside. And guess what? It is packed. Why? Because they've evolved a unique solution and they know exactly who they are targeting. And those people don't mind paying that kind of money for that kind of service because they can't go to the roadside, but they miss what they were eating when they were children. And so when they find the right kind of environment where they can be themselves and enjoy the same thing, they don't mind paying extra for that service. May the Lord give somebody wisdom. 
to provide a unique solution. Amen. How unique is my solution? The third question you would ask on the concept, is it a big vision or dream or a subsistence idea? How big is this dream? How big is my outlook? Sometimes by the time you finish talking to somebody, you realize that they just want to move a little and sort themselves out. Their whole dream revolves around bread and butter. And yet you are talking to somebody else who says, by the year 2024, I want to finance, sponsor a Bible for every Ghanaian. That person must be calculating 35 million or 30 million Bibles. That kind of thinking is deep, is big. And yet you talk to somebody and they just want to be able to feed themselves and pay their bills. How big is your vision? How big is your outlook? Only you know. Only you know what is on your heart. And what is on your heart, what is driving you, what is chasing you, determines how fast you run. When you see somebody strolling in life, please don't follow them. Maybe the thing that is chasing them is not big. Maybe the thing that is pushing them is not so strong. If you know something big is chasing you, don't adapt somebody else's speed. Run with your vision. Tell somebody, run. So what is chasing you determines how fast you run. The fourth sub-question is, what is my strategy? What is my strategy? I may have identified the need all right. I may come up with a unique idea. So if I want to raise Bible awareness in this country, I want a unique concept where I put a Bible in the hand of every, every Ghanaian. I have a big vision of doing it within 10 years. What is my strategy? Do I have a clear mission statement that is driving me? Do I have a, a written document that shows exactly what I want to achieve? If God woke me up at night and without giving me a minute to think, ask me, what exactly are you trying to do with this business? Can I answer? What is your strategy? Is there a fit between where you are going or where you say you are going and the other variables in your business? Because sometimes when you say where you are going and you say how you are going there, there's some small confusion about it. Because you look at what you say you are using to get there and where you say you are going and they don't match. How ready are you to go where you say you are going? So the first question you want to answer, how clear is your business concept or strategy? The second question, who are your clients and your competitors? Deep sea business must do a client and competitor analysis. Who are you serving or who are you trying to serve? If you are trying to catch exotic fish, when you go to Jamestown and you say Chile, don't worry if you don't understand the heavenly language. When you say Chile, they will set up and they will respond in a particular way. You see, when you are going to do some kinds of dishes, you cannot use guitar school boys. Am I speaking to somebody? The small, small herrings and guitar school boys can meet a particular need but when you want to catch chile big exotic fishes you need to operate in a certain part of the sea 
You can't stand on the shore. You can't operate around the fringes of the sea and catch you. So the question is, who are you trying to save? And what do they want? Who are your clients? Are they guitar schoolboys eaters or Chile eaters? What is the agenda, male or female? What is their age bracket? Are they students? Are they workers? Because knowing who they are will determine even the price you sell your goods. Who are they? What is their economic status? Why do they buy? Are there cultural issues you must be aware of? There was a, a soft drink company that was doing an advertising campaign globally. And they did an ad campaign that was beautiful. And the ad campaign had a man who was running and he, he collapsed. So he showed a picture of a man who had collapsed. Second picture, the man was drinking the soft drink. And the third picture, the man was running. First picture, the man has collapsed from exhaustion. Second picture, the man is drinking the soft drink. Third picture, the man is running. Beautiful ad campaign, graphic. The campaign was very successful until they took it to an Arabic country. And in that country, you read from left to right. They read from right to left. And so when the advert came out, the man was running and doing very well. But when he drank the soft drink, he collapsed. <laughs> Tell somebody culture. Understand the culture of the people you are trying to save. Where do they live? Do they live in the suburbs or do they live in the rich areas? Because that, that determines how you even approach them. How, what media do they listen to? Are they on radio, on television, or social media? Even in social media, there's segmentation. There is Twitter, there is Facebook, there's LinkedIn. You need to know which one they're operating depending on their age and what they do. It's not one size fits all. I recall my wife telling me a story about a woman she met in Agbogloshi, not far from here. And this woman was an executive kayayo. You say she's a kayayo, she says she's a porter. In the first place, she doesn't even call herself kayayo, she calls herself porter. Secondly, she does not operate from the pedestrian walkway. She operates from the car park. Her target is not those who come walking. Her target is those who come with cars. And even the cars, she's selective. The bigger the car, the more exotic the car, the better. And when you look at the way she's dressed and she approaches you, every knee shall bow. And so she comes to you and she introduces herself and says, I'm Azara and I'm a, I'm a porter. And today I want to walk you free of charge through the market and show you the best vendor for each product. And when they say free of charge, you say, why not? And she knows the market. And so she will show you tomatoes, buy from this person. Yum, use this vendor. Onions, use this person. And by the time you finish, you, finish, you are satisfied that Azara knows the market. And she will help you to your car. And of course, you will pay her and you will tip her well. But just before you go, she will release her strategy. She says, anytime you are busy and unable to come to the market, do not worry. Just give me a call. 
and this is the business model. You will call her and say, I need yum, 40 Ghana cities, tomatoes, this amount, um, onions, this amount, fish, this amount. And because she knows the good vendors, she will buy quality products for you. And because she's known around the market, she doesn't even need to pay cash. She collects all on credit and sits in a taxi based on your direction and drives straight to your doorstep at the airport residential area. And, and when she arrives, first you pay for the dropping, both in and out. And then since you ordered the goods and you know how much you bought, you also pay for the goods you brought. After which she will smile and you will pay her executive Kayayo service. There is a difference between a Kayayo and a porter. Even what you call your business determines how much they pay you. Somebody says a security person is a glorified watchman. You call yourself watchman. The person says I'm an executive security company. So, definition is determined by who you are trying to reach. Profile your customers and package your products. What is the market size for your idea? Sometimes you want to make an idea big, but there is simply no market for it. What is the potential demand? What is the existing demand and potential demand? And so a young man walks into our office's when I was running our publishing company and says, I want to print a book. And he sounded very excited. And I said, sure. What's the title? He says, how to become a Nooks president. And my face changes. And I said, why that title? He says, I have experience. I, I run for Nooks office. And I said, yeah, sure. But why that title? He said, oh, but that's what I want to write about. And I asked him, how many posts stand for Nooks presidents per campus? He said, about, about five. And I said, so if all of them buy your book, how many will you sell? He said, five. <laughs> and I said, okay, so if for the next five years, all contestants for Nook's president buy your books, how many will you sell? He said, 25. <laughs> Over the five-year period. And I said, if 10 campuses buy your book, how many is the maximum for five years? 250. Is it good business? This is canoe mentality. Shoreline. I said, okay, so let's work this. Let's keep the content the same and let's try how to stand for Nook's executive. How many executives are there? President, vice president, treasurer, secretary. He started multiplying about 10. That alone multiplies the number by 10. And I said, but the principles in this book, can they also be used by SRC? He said, oh yeah, it's the same thing. And I said, okay, so now let's add SRC. By the time we finish the analysis, it was about how to become a leader in your youth. Same concept, but somebody has stretched the idea, pushed the idea, challenged the idea, and now from a canoe idea, it has become a deep sea idea. Somebody say, I hear you. Give the idea some stretch. Move it beyond that small space. What is the market size for the idea? The third thing you want to look at is what is the competition? Who is competing with you? Where can they be found? What vessels are they using? Are they older? Are they bigger? Are they more connected than you? Have they been in the market for a long time? What is their strength? What is their weakness? How do you counter them? A friend of mine was 
producing yogurts and went against a principality and the principality responded forcefully by commanding all filling stations not to put his product in their freezers they said we will buy the freezer for you and you will keep only our products when you deal with that kind of force it is a principality <laughs> how do you react looking at the size of your competition sometimes you need to encircle them it's not every battle that you run towards the competition so he began to encircle them by moving into the villages and the outskirts of Accra by the time he came back into town his muscles were stronger and his giants were in place that is a strategy think about your approach hallelujah the third thing you're looking at is your products and your services what do you sell the fact that you have identified the need does not even make your product the correct one the shoreline delivers small fishes the deep sea delivers consistently exotic and expensive catch and so if you want to succeed in the marketplace you must have something that you are better than than others if you are like everyone else providing service you will struggle what do you do better than the competition you must consistently be preferable to others in your field to stay on top and so if we say competitive advantage it doesn't mean that you must be better than them at everything but there are some key things that you must say at least one of them or two of them i must be ahead and the five key battlegrounds in gaining competitive advantage whether you are in fashion food retail healthcare number one speed how fast do you deliver somebody says i will give you this loan in 48 hours that is speed so somebody else will give you the same service in one week i am guaranteeing you 48 hours that is a promise that you will get my service with speed second one is convenience and so a laundry person says listen instead of going all the way to this big laundry that is in the center of town through the traffic i will give you 10 percent less in terms of price and i will deliver it to your doorstep convenience i will bring it to your doorstep you say i prefer that one you are getting convenience the third one is quality when you offer a product that is in terms of quality better than others you stand the chance of having an advantage the fourth one is price affordability a lot of people make buying decisions based on price and so if you want to go into the deep sea business it is one of the battlegrounds let me say here that it is not always the battleground because for some things the higher the price the more the demand they call them ostentatious goods for some people they want to ride the kind of car that they say when they rev the engine eight gallons are gone and when they drive it through town they like the way when you see them in traffic you crane your neck that is the reason why they buy it because you can't afford it <laughs> but one day <laughs> the fifth battleground is health and safety 
when you buy a drink and they say no sugar added when they produce something and they say this was produced in a factory with ISO 9001 standard what they are saying is that the product is safe it is healthy it is preferable and so it depends on what you are doing you may want to be sure that at least in one of these areas you have an advantage if you are doing something and you are not faster more convenient your quality is not better your price is not better and you, in terms of health and safety you are not promising anything superior please it's not by prayer <laughs> you can't pray and produce low quality service high price late delivery and you say i take authority over what you must win in one of these battlegrounds and sometimes you you have an advantage but it is temporary you win the battle in the short term but very soon they catch up with you and overtake you and so the next key question under this is how replicable is that advantage the thing that you say you are doing better than everybody else can somebody in the competition take it and run faster than you sometimes you hear this company has released this product but when you go and check somebody smaller released the product first but his strength was small and his speed was small and a bigger giant takes the same product produces a variant of it and goes to town and does huge adverse and they say this company has released a product a poor man's voice will not be heard your vision has been hijacked how replicable is your advantage and so what you do is that you put in value added things into the service delivery extra things things that jazz up or spice up your service delivery added service quality service in addition to the product even the way you serve it the way you you carry it the way you deliver it those extra value added services make somebody say listen the big company is promising me but i just like the way the smaller company serves me with respect with dignity i prefer their customer service and you keep your customer amen products and services the fourth battleground is technology systems and capacity technology you see fishing with ships is highly sophisticated unlike fishing with canoes rafts or locks in fact some people don't even bother to use canoes at all when you go to the fishing community there are actually people who line up on the shore they go and put the net in the sea and tie a long rope and stand on the shore they say oh then they pull oh and they pull they don't even need a canoe and they can be conversing and then they'll pull a little that's why you can't even call it shoreline um, shallow water fishing offshore offshore <laughs> offshore operation they just stand there and they pull and then they catch something small and they are happy if you want to operate in deep sea business move away you see when we were children there was a kind of cooking where we cut sardine tins and then we use sand you see sometimes our, our operation is like that little things like children who are playing but you want to operate in the deep sea rise above that level your vessel determines your reach and your expectation of harvest 
If somebody said, I'm going to do a transport business on the Accra Tamale route, you say, wonderful. May the Lord empower you to succeed. So, what vehicle are you using? You say, oh, I have a small taxi. Then you pause. And then your mind calculates STC charges 55 cities to Tamale. Okay, so let's assume that your taxi will take 50. Now, if you take 50, four passengers is how much? 200. Now, small taxi cannot go to Tamale and come back in one day. So, one day you make one part of the trip. Now, if you work every day for the whole year without break, 365 days, you will make 73,000 cities. Now, you are chanting a million is my minimum. And they ask you, so when will you get a million? You say, in a couple of years, in two years' time. You haven't calculated. When do you move from the one taxi? And so, if your original strategy is still the same, and you are planning to use that same taxi and drive it yourself, you are not planning to hire drivers or move to a bigger van or a bigger bigger vehicle or maybe even a plane, and you intend to use that one taxi, and drive it yourself and you are declaring by faith that your million is your minimum will be achieved in two years there is a disconnect between where you say you are going and the vehicle you are using and so when the bible says in luke 14 28 that which of you seeking to build a house will not first sit down and think or calculate it means that calculating is not unscriptural christ had more faith than you and i and yet he talked about calculation. So you need to calculate, sit down and calculate what is the maximum revenue I can get from this. If you use your one taxi and work every day, you need 13.8 or 14 years to get a million. So stop talking about two years. And you need to come to church as well. Praise God. Your technology also determines your risk. If you go to the high seas with a canoe, it has serious risk implications because the size of the waves, the canoe cannot handle them. That small car cannot handle the traffic on the Tamale Highway and the big trucks that pass to the West African countries. You can't handle it. The size and sophistication of your opponent determines your weapon. And I read a research done by Malcolm Gladwell in his book, David and Goliath, and he made a very interesting analysis. He said, Goliath was the underdog. And I said, pardon? He said, Goliath could never have won the battle. I said, wait a minute. He said, Goliath determined to fight one-on-one combat. And so he carried a sword and a shield and stood there and said come to me so that I will kill you and give your body to the birds. Goliath had determined the battleground as close combat. That's why he had a shield and somebody holding the shield and a sword. David knew that if he came close there was no way he could handle Goliath. And so he threw the stone according to judges. 20 verse 16, it says, Among all these people were 700 men who were left-handed, who could hit a sling, throw a sling or fly a stone from a sling and hit a hair's breadth. And guess how far they were throwing from? 200 yards. 
So simply, whilst Goliath was waiting for David to come close, David stood 200 yards away and threw a stone and brought him down. Before Goliath could say, come, he was down. (laughs) And so, the reason I'm bringing this point is simply this, that you need a combination of grace and skills. You need a combination of God's grace and skills to win the battle. David was not some adventurous person who had done no calculation, no rehearsal, no practice, and said, by faith, Goliath is coming down, he would have died. Years of practice. He knew what weapons he was using. That is why when Saul offered him a shield and a spear, he said, please, don't go that way. That is the enemy's battleground. They know that technology more than me. What technology are you using? What is your thinking pattern, your knowledge or mental capacity? The deep sea fishing requires a different kind of thinking from the shallow water fishing. So for some of us, the major difference we must make this year is to go back to school. For some of us, God has been alerting you, signaling, nudging you to add to your store of knowledge. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 11, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. What was he saying? He was saying that there is a kind of thinking, there is a kind of speaking, there is a kind of perception that is for children. But when you become a man, you need to put that kind of thinking away. Let me suggest to you that similarly, there is a kind of approach to doing business that is for shallow waters. And you can carry that same shallow water thinking into deep water business. Is somebody learning? In deep waters, you must take your thinking to the next level. How scalable is your operation? Some things are there, they are just small. Can you move from here from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. How will you do it? Will you hire more people? Will you get more vessels? Will you modify the operation? These are questions you must ask yourself. The fifth key to operating in deep waters is networks. Networks. And I want to say three simple things about networks. The first one is that Build the kind of governance framework or structure that allows a business to grow. When you pack the business with relatives, I'm going into very dangerous waters now. People who don't share the passion for excellence but have an entitlement mentality that this business is for my auntie or my uncle, your business stands the risk of collapsing. You think that you want to help somebody, but you are not the Ministry of Employment and Social Warfare. Don't take your God-given vision and give it to people who don't share your burden and come and play games in your office. And the painful thing is that when others are struggling to work hard, those relatives of yours are taking it easy. And when the hard-working people look at them, They say, what is the point? Even these who are related 
are not doing it. What about me? You are killing your dream. Listen, you can pray, you can fast, go and fire the troublemakers. If you hire them, you can fire them. Praise God. The word fire and praise God don't go together. But sometimes, you've got to fire. If a business leader can't make tough decisions, you cannot lead. Praise God. You need skills and experience. Bring around you people who have the relevant skills that you need. Gather people. Sometimes they come without the skills and you train them. Other times they come and they have the skills already and they add value. But by all means, make sure that the relevant skills are in your organization. And whilst you are at it, grow, deliberately grow a beautiful network. A network of clients, sponsors, suppliers. Don't take your stakeholders for granted. Get the right people. I listened to a very notable speaker who made a very significant suggestion. He says, don't expect your stakeholders to be satisfied automatically. He says, every single working day, I call four clients or potential clients. You may want to write it down somewhere. Write it down somewhere. He says, every day that I work, I call four clients. I don't always call them to ask about business. Sometimes I just call to say hello. And very often, by the time I finish saying hello, there is an opportunity that was there. Four clients. He says, I call four people every day. And the one I love the most, he says, I have a list of the hundred most important people in my network. And every month, I connect with them once. Imagine if you had a list of the hundred most influential people in your life and you connect with them once a month. When you need help and you go to them, you're not a stranger. Not like you, somebody who appears once in two years and every time they appear, they need help. You can't build relationships like that. Connect consistently with the most important people in your life. The final point is divine partnership, divine guidance and intervention. Going back to Psalm 107, our foundational scripture for today says, They that go down to the sea in ships, that do business in deep waters, it is they who see the greatness of our God and his wonders in the deep. When God spoke to Peter and his friends and asked them to launch into the deep, he rewarded their faith and their obedience. How does God reward us in the deep? How does God guide us in the deep? When you read verse 25, it says, For he commands and raises the stormy wind, which lifts up the waves of the sea. They mount up to the heavens. They go down again to the depths. Their soul melts because of trouble. Verse 27, They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end and then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble and he brings them out of their distresses verse 29 he calms the storm 
so that its waves are still then they are glad because they are quiet so he guides them to their desired heaven verse 31 oh that men will give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and his wonderful works to the children of men there are five things in this last portion of scripture that I would like you to look at to close it says that the waves begin to stare and the people are at their wits end sometimes in your life you come to a place where you are at your wits end you don't know what to do and Bible says that when they are at their wits end they cry out to the Lord verse 28 they cry out to God in your business sometimes you are at your wits end you just don't know you have done the strategy you have done the writing you have done the client profiling but circumstances the environment the macroeconomic system puts you in a position where you are at your wit's end. Currency is not responding. Clients are not responding. At that point, Bible says, they cry out unto the Lord. When you are reeling to and fro like a drunken man, that's not a time to run away from the house of God. Bible says they cried out. Let me speak to somebody who is struggling and assure you that in the house of the Lord, there is help hallelujah when you are reeling under challenges and difficulties cry out to the lord and bible says that when they cried out he brought them out of their distresses we serve a god who is able to bring you out of your distress whatever it is that you are going through god is able to bring you out of your distress hallelujah bible says that not only that he guided them to their desired heaven i don't know what you are desiring but as God brings you out of your distress, he would also guide you to your desired destination. And Bible says that when they arrived there, they lifted up their voice and said, Give thanks to the Lord for his goodness to the sons of men. Anyone here at your wit's end, anyone here you are doing everything you know how to do. Peter said, we have told all night and gotten nothing. You've done your strategy. You've put together your team. You've built your business. You've done what you know to do, but you are at your wit's end. The scripture says, in that place, cry out to the Lord, and he will deliver you from your distress and bring you to your desired heaven, and you will give thanks to God. God is in this place, and you want to give him thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Springboard Zone an inspirational podcast by Albert and Comfort Okran. Like our Facebook and Twitter pages at Albert and E. Okran and Comfort Okran A for free resources and information about our itinerary, conferences and media broadcast. For speaking appointments, email albert.okran at icloud.com or SMS or WhatsApp us on plus 233 you may also subscribe to www.albertokran.com, amazon.com, or your favorite online bookstore for copies of our inspirational books and audiovisual materials. Until we come your way again, always remember, you are blessed indeed. Oh, 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 oh,